Sometimes when a rule or regulation gets put into place, you're often left wondering, wait, didn't that already exist? Well, it does happen in the financial world as well, and actually a recent change looks to be a positive, with many people thinking, hey, it's about time. If you're getting an investment advice in a retirement account, any type of retirement account, that advisor should be acting in your best interest as a fiduciary, with some exceptions, which is kind of bizarre that they'd even have to pass a law for that. You would, you would think that, that that's kind of a standard that you know, most companies would have anyway. Hello and thanks for listening to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma. In this episode of Management Decisions, we take another look at the management of your finances with Zarka Financial. Specifically, we have Les Zarka with us. He's the founder, co-owner, and CEO. And we're discussing a new consumer protection rule that investors certainly need to be aware of. Welcome back to the show, Les. My pleasure. I love uh, talking with you guys. Oh, and we love having you guys on. Uh, everybody over there from Zarka Financial, uh, you know, does a great job giving us some insight. Obviously, tons of experience over there, and that's again why we have you on. Some new things that people maybe should be on the lookout for. Or obviously, you'll break down the, the ins and outs of that. So let's start with the initial question here. What is one of those big changes in the investment field that everyone seems to be talking about right now? Well, the, there was a, a rule that was passed through the Department of Labor, um, I think it's been about three weeks now, and it is, it's truly going to transform the relationship that you existing have now between you and your advisor. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of it has to center around just, you know, basically whose best interest has to be put forward when you're dealing with clients. So these new rules have been something that, you know, our trade group has been, you know, begging for for the last, what, 10, 15 years, <laughs> and there's been a lot of pushback from the sales organizations who, you know, didn't necessarily want to have this fiduciary responsibility. So finally, the law, you know, the rules came out, and so it is what it is. It's not perfect, but it's certainly a lot better, I think, for consumers today than it was a month ago. Well, let's get into the details, I guess, a little bit of that. Uh, for those who may not be aware, maybe they're unsure exactly what everything entails. What are some of the rules or what's kind of the key focus of what this is? Well, the big change um, is that in the past, the person that you were getting investment advice from or the person that you're purchasing investment products from um, was either a fiduciary or a non-fiduciary. Mm-hmm. And so the difference is the... Um, if you're acting as a fiduciary, you have to act in the best interest of the client. If you're not a fiduciary, you have a standard that is much lower, which is basically just the suitability standard. Okay. And so what the law came in and said, now keep in mind, and this is one I think most people you know, haven't really grasped yet, these new rules only apply to retirement plan assets. Oh, okay. So, so if you've got a 401k, if you have a IRA account, you know, a Roth IRA or something like that, these rules apply this fiduciary standard. It does not apply to non-retirement accounts. Okay, gotcha. Basically, the rule now says is that if you're getting an investment advice in a retirement account, any type of retirement account, that advisor should be acting in your best interest as a fiduciary mm-hmm. with some exceptions. And then we'll, you know, we can talk about some of the exceptions. But in a nutshell, that's what the rule is, that they should be acting on your you know, on your behalf, in your best interest, which is kind of bizarre that they'd even have to pass a law for that. You would, you would think that, right. that that's kind of a standard that you know, most companies would have anyway. 
No, that's true. And, uh, you know, we actually deal with uh, some attorneys over here in terms of uh, government compliance and hiring and stuff like that. And it's kind of a similar thing, the difference between an attorney and a consultant and and what terms you use. It's kind of interesting how that can go back and forth. So when you're looking at this, obviously you said it's funny you have to have a law. What do you see as the pros and cons, if there are any, of this supposed, you know, new fiduciary standard versus Mm -hmm. what the old standard was? Well, if I can just take a, a step back for a second and say, well, why did we even need the rule? Sure. Okay, so we needed the rule because there were some you know, unscrupulous people, salespeople, that were taking advantage of folks um, and you know either putting them into products that paid a very, very high upfront commission or had very long-term surrender periods and penalties attached to them. And in many cases, I would say, I would even argue in most cases, you know, the real abusive products, the clients had no clue what they were getting into. And so consequently, a lot of folks were getting, you know, taken advantage of. And so the law really came about to say, you know, to try to shut that loophole down, saying, you know, we really want to make sure that these clients understand what they're getting. So that's kind of right. the, the history of the genesis of it. Okay. Um, and so the the change right now is that, you know, they're going after um, sales situations where maybe the client isn't given all the information or is not being presented a product or a solution that really um, is in their best interest. You know, meaning that it may solve their problem, but there could have been products out there that were you know, much less expensive. So, okay. for example, if someone was selling a mutual fund or an annuity, you know, especially on the annuity side, there might have been one that had a much lower commission to the person right. but was more consumer-friendly. And so that's going to be more difficult for those types of sales situations to get away with that. Now, you mentioned briefly about exceptions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, could you get into a little bit of the details on those for those people that are curious? Yeah, they, they left, um, and I, you know, I, I'm hesitant to call it a loophole mm-hmm. uh, because there was a need for it. But there is a loophole in where the client can voluntarily opt out really? of that fiduciary relationship. And, you know, there may be some instances where, you know, the client may choose to do that. You know, one of the notable ones would be, let's say, if you're dealing with a company that sells only proprietary products. So you have a person that works for, you know, XYZ Insurance Company. And, and again, I don't want to, you know, pick on any names, but that's what that's all they sell. Sure. You know, and there's a ton of those. They do a lot of advertising. And so you may have a relationship with that agent 10, 20 years, and you feel very comfortable with them. You know, they're very honest. And in that situation, they can't act as a fiduciary because they're captive. They can only offer you their their company's products. Mm. So in that case, you would be asked to sign off a form, a separate form that says that you understand that, you know, this is not a fiduciary fiduciary responsibility or a fiduciary relationship. And so in that instance, that may make perfect sense. Our concern, however, is that if someone is unscrupulous, you know, all it is is a form being signed. Does the person really know what they're signing? Mm, sure. So are they signing away their rights of having a fiduciary responsibility unbeknownst to them? And once that form is signed, it's very difficult for that client then to prove that they didn't understand what they were signing. Right, right. You know, so those are, you know, there's some exceptions. There's some other more detailed exceptions, for example, like if you're dealing with a what's called a wirehouse, you know, one of the major um, brokerage firms where they're selling, let's say you're buying an individual bond and they're selling it out of inventory. So there's some other more esoteric type exceptions. But the big one would the client should be aware of is that if you're being asked to sign a form that waives your rights 
to having that fiduciary responsibility, there better be a damn good reason for it. <laughs> you know, and, and if someone's asking you to do that um, and they're not, let's say, a captive type of situation, mm-hmm. you know, my best advice to clients is honestly, I, I wouldn't even walk out of their office. I would run out of their office <laughs> because there may be something that may come back to haunt you. Sure. And that comes from experience on your end, and uh, and, a lot of people, I'm sure, in your field would see it the same way. I was curious, and maybe there's not an answer to this, uh, but you noted that this only applies to the retirement side of things. Is there a reason it doesn't go broader? Would it be something that could uh, in the long term? How does that all work together? Well, it is interesting because it it presents this bizarre situation now where you know, you've got a salesperson who on a retirement account is a fiduciary responsibility, but on the non-retirement accounts for that client doesn't have to act in the best interest right. of the client. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's just, and, and the reason this happened is that this law, or this rule, I should say, came about through the Department of Labor, okay, which has jurisdiction over retirement, you know, company-sponsored retirement plans. Gotcha. What they did was they took that authority and they transferred it and saying, well, that means what also falls under our jurisdiction are other retirement plans like individual IRAs. And this is a stretch. Okay, so this is where, <laughs> you know, the, the, the government potentially you know, is kind of doing an overreach because that's a pretty large leap in logic to say, well, we have control over company-sponsored plans, which which is obvious, Department of Labor, but what, how does that now translate into an individual's retirement account? So it they didn't have the jurisdiction to go beyond retirement accounts. Okay. So now the question is, is the Securities and Exchange Commission, which has jurisdiction over that, are they going to adopt these same rules? Hmm. Because we do have this very bizarre situation now where, you know, again, I have to act as a fiduciary on one of your accounts, right. but I, I can I can still cheat you on the other one. <laughs> you know. I like the phrase that you said, maybe the government was reaching a bit in logic there, uh, not to offend any of our government workers out there, but uh, I guess I'm not horribly surprised by that statement. Well, you know what, honestly, <laughs> it's, it's usually not the government workers that are the issue. True. It's, it's whoever is the head of the department. That's I mean, a, that's where that's the overreach point. comes. But, you know, the guy that's doing the nine to five work right. day to day, um, that it's not their fault. But this this is one of those cases where we do kind of scratch our heads and say, and it's interesting because, you know, in our profession, the planning side, we've been lobbying to have this fiduciary rule. Right. We just find it very odd that it came from the Department of Labor and not the Securities and Exchange Commission because it logically should have come from the SEC. Right. So do you hear anything? Do you get any sense that there would be that change soon or down the road at any point? Or, I mean, is there nothing? I would be shocked if it, if it didn't happen. Okay. I would be very, very surprised if within the next, and I can't give you a time frame, sure. whether it's you know one year or two years or whatever, but I would be surprised that the SEC isn't going to be embarrassed into a situation mm-hmm. where they say, you know, where people are asking them, hey, wait a minute, why <laughs> haven't you guys passed a rule like this? So I can't imagine that you know it, it's going to be a long period of time before we have a standard rule that applies to all accounts. Yeah, they might just wait a little bit so that it looks like they made their own decision versus forced into, into it. it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, or embarrassed into it. Yeah. I guess with this, what are some potential other factors or other components of this that could happen, or different types of arrangements that might you might see in the future based on these rules or underneath these rules? What sort of changes additionally might you see? Biggest changes, more than likely, are going to happen with annuities, um, insurance company-based contracts, mm-hmm. because um, those do tend to have 
multi-tiered compensation system. So, you know, the same insurance company can sell one annuity that pays a 3% commission and another annuity that pays a 7% commission. Well, obviously, the one that pays a 7% commission is going to have features in it that aren't necessarily as good for the consumer as the one that pays a lower commission. Okay. And so the insurance companies now hopefully are going to come under pressure to look at their products themselves and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, we really need to standardize these better. Because this is one of those classic situations where, you know, the government looks at a problem and there was a simple solution and then there was a more complex solution and they chose the more complex one. Sure. Because if, if what they were really fighting were the abusive type of products that consumers were being sold, they lit, they could have just gone through the Department of Insurance, gone to the insurance companies and said, you know what, here's the new rule. The maximum commission any annuity can pay is X and the maximum penalty or surrender charge is X. Hmm. The investment community did this years, you know, decades ago. They came in with mutual funds and they said the most commission that you can pay is X and the longest penalty period can be, can be Y. Right. And so what it did is they took out all the unscrupulous salespeople because they, they couldn't make enough money, at least in their judgment. Sure. And they could have done the same thing here. They could have just gone after the actual pro- the abusive products that have a 20-year surrender charge or pay a you know, 10% commission or something like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything there. <laughs> the products are still on the shelf. You know, they're just making it more difficult to pull off the shelf. Well, if you're unscrupulous, you're still going to find a way. Right, right. Now, they made it much harder. Sure. But someone that's determined is still going to be able to find it. So, you know, it's come a long way. It's not perfect. And, and as with any wide-sweeping rule, you're going to have unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are pretty or maybe more obvious. Some of them we're not going to even realize, you know, for, for a few years down the road. But one of the things that we're concerned about is that this is a very, very complex rule. Um, it, is, it is highly ambiguous in some of its terms. And so the cost of complying with these rules is obviously going to be pretty expensive. And so one of our concerns is that people that have smaller accounts, they're going to be ignored. You know, the the industry, the, the financial services industry is going to say, well, we're just going to focus on those folks that have, you know, $100,000 or, you know, half a million or whatever, and we're going to ignore these people that have five or $10,000 because the cost of compliance mm. isn't worth what we're going to get from it. And so the sad part is that in this environment, you've got, you know, many, many, many people that aren't saving nearly enough for retirement. Right. And right now they might be getting, you know, very good advice from very good advisors that are choosing to, you know, to use, let's say, upfront uh, commission products because that's how that person gets paid for the services that they're providing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Going forward, they're not, they, they may not be that many people that want to handle those types of accounts. So we're, we are a little bit concerned about, you know, the average Joe who maybe isn't doing enough towards saving for retirement or maybe they're younger, that they're just going to be ignored. Sure. And you know, part of this is that the the when I, when I talked about ambiguous is that like for example, there's a um, a clause in there that says you have to have best efforts for pricing, meaning that if to meet my fiduciary standard, and let's say you and I sit down and you, we decide that you want to use a mutual fund, I have to go out and find the best pricing for you. I have to give you my best efforts. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so does that mean I have to find you the absolute lowest cost? Hmm. because think about this for a second. If that same rule applied for someone, if you're buying a car, 
Does that mean I have to go to every single dealership in the city or the county? Or how far exactly am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to visit every dealership? So when when you're putting words out like best efforts, it's ambiguous. And then the other problem is I may find something that has a lower price, but it has a different service package. So back to my car analogy, I can find a car that's less expensive, but maybe it only has a three-year warranty instead of a five-year warranty, Hmm. or it has a smaller engine, or, you know, whatever the nuances are. If I'm looking strictly at price and I'm ignoring the service aspect, you know, one of the concerns is that the industry is now going to have this, you know, run to the bottom, what's the cheapest cost? Because otherwise, I won't be able to have advisors sell my product, but then the servicing behind it, obviously, is is not going to be the same. It can't be. You know, if I'm charging X for something for a level of service, I can't charge half as much and give you the same amount of service. So these are the things we're kind of, you know, we're going to have to feel through for the next number of years and see exactly what the impact is going to be. Fascinating stuff as usual, Les. And uh, yeah, that's why we have someone like you on to at least give us some of those details, uh, as you mentioned, with any new rule or regulation. Kind of got to figure it out as we go along. But I appreciate Mm -hmm. you kind of letting people know out there, make sure you know what you're getting into and uh, the whole idea of working in your best interest, to your point. We hope that's always been the and case. <laughs> just a last parting word, and yeah. just make sure you read everything that you're signing so you're not inadvertently signing away your rights as a fiduciary relationship. Just read everything. Excellent point. Les, thank you, as always. We appreciate the time and your experience. You're very welcome. That is all the time we have for this edition of Management Decisions. Again, we are speaking with Les Zarka, founder, co-owner, and CEO of Zarka Financial. If you want to get in touch with us about this or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. We also encourage your thoughts on any new topics you'd like us to cover. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at the LJN, and you can find all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes store. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.